The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. And turn with me to Mark chapter 6 this morning. And we're going to look at uh, a topic that um, I think maybe sometimes we forget. In some way we use the vernacular of it a lot. But I'm not sure that we lose sight of the fact that God declares that without faith... It is impossible to please God. And we know that is part of our coming to Christ by His grace through faith that we come into relationship with Him. But that does not mean that our faith stops at the foot of the cross. That we live and move and have our being in Him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, the fact is, every single one of us, when it comes to life, We are always and continually, day in and day out, faced with the issue of faith or belief or trust in everything that we do. You may take exception to that, but give me a moment and I'll explain why. You see, the reality is every one of us have a faith or a trust or a belief based in someone or something. Every one of us. Our faith and our trust is placed in someone, something, or someone. But as it relates to us who have come into relationship to Christ and we are followers of Jesus, the question comes again, do we really, really, really trust and have faith in God in everything? In everything. Again, Paul, when he's talking to those in Athens, he says this. He says, in him, that is in Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. As we look at this sixth chapter, kind of a a review of all this in chapter 6 this morning, what we realize is that all of these short instances that Mark records for us in the gospel have everything to do with faith. Faith is mentioned in every one of them, and there's an act that's involved. Either it's a commending for faith, or it is a chastisement for lacking faith. You see, it's impossible to go a single hour, really, in in every one of our days without crossing the issue or being confronted with faith in some way. And if you look at Scripture, well over almost 800 times, the word faith or believe or trust is used throughout the Scripture, which really kind of puts it on every page of Scripture. Every page in this book that we say that we follow, that we live by, you will be confronted with the issue of faith or trust or belief in every single page and instance throughout Scripture. Now, nothing I'm going to share with you this morning is probably new to most of us. But as I was praying through and looking at this passage, it came to my heart and my mind that we as a body of Christ, and let me put it in first person, JMO this last week desperately needed to be reminded that the righteous shall live by faith and walk in it. And I think if that applies to me, then it probably applies to all of us. So we are in desperate need of a reminder of not only walking in faith, but stepping out in faith as we see God leading us, lest we fall back into a routine, mundane, stale, dry, stenchy form of Christianity. Can I hear an amen on that? 
Now, don't anybody criticize me this week in an email because I said, can I hear an amen from that? We must walk in and live by, and if we don't step out as God is leading us individually and as a corporate body, we will grow into a stale stagnant, and you might as well turn the lights off. It's true. We are saved by grace through faith. We, we don't deny. That's a, that's a hallmark of Protestant belief. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But again, faith does not stop at the foot of the cross because Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that he and us, we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. That is, our old man no longer lives. There's been a transformation, and now this new life that we live in the flesh, Paul says, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and called us according to His purposes. That means from that moment on, every breath we take, every step we take, everywhere we go, we must live by faith and a trust and a belief in God and who He is and what He does. As we come to this sixth chapter I reviewed the first five chapters of Mark as we've already walked back through. And if you'll recall, in every instance, as a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming, declaring, the kingdom of God is at hand, he tells those folks that are there listening to him, he says, repent and do what? This is where you interact with me, by the way. <laughs> he did say, follow me. But he said, repent and do what? Believe. Same word that's translated believe here as faith. Have faith in him. Repent and believe. The trusting of God. Mark chapter 2, we see the faith of the paralytic man and his friends who lowered him down from the roof to Jesus so that Jesus might heal him. And Jesus says, get up, your sins are what? Forgiven. Mark chapter 3, we see it on the pages of that where all of the crowds, and by the way, many of them are Gentiles, are, are following Jesus and they're believing, they're trusting, they have faith, and he heals many of them. We saw in Mark chapter 4 that when the storm rose and Jesus is taking the siesta in the back of the boat, the disciples are freaking out and Jesus says to them what? Where's your faith? Oh, you have little, little faith. Haven't you seen what I've been doing? Haven't you seen the miracles? And do you still not believe? Mark chapter 5, we see the issue of the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. Gentiles, by the way, by their faith, they were made whole. Now, some of your radars are going up right now. Because you're going down the line, oh, J-Mo, are you going down one of these name it and claim it things? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. You see, I think one of the things we've done as evangelicals, in particular maybe Baptists, is we have ignored the element of faith in a daily basis to believe God as to who He is and His promises and to trust Him in that because we don't want to be a part of that crowd. Listen. The just, the righteous, must live by what? Faith. The episodes that we're going to find here in Mark chapter 6 really are not recorded for us for the miracles alone. 
Now, the miracles are quite fascinating. They're, they're quite phenomenal. And without question, they are miracles because they interrupt the normal. And God performs the miraculous. But I think if we see behind the miracles as Jesus is showing his disciples how to follow him and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the key thing that I believe that he's teaching them in these instances is that we must have faith in him and who he is and his power. I love what Dennis Mock writes, and I'll quote, Dennis is a guy that wrote the BTCP courses that we study here and that we're teaching in Liberia and other places in the world. Dennis says this, Faith is not a blind leap in the dark, but a bold step of trust in the light of who God is. If you want to write that down, I'll, I'll read it to you again. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark, but it is a bold step of trust in the light of who God is. Now let's look at this first account, the feeding of 5,000. I know that Larry covered it last week, but I want to bring out a couple of other elements that relate directly to what we're talking about. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 30 of chapter 6, as Mark records this. He says the, the, the disciples or the apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and that they had taught. If you'll remember, Jesus had sent out the twelve. And as they came back to Jesus, this is where they're reporting to him all that had taken place when, when they went out to do what he had told them to do, proclaim the gospel, call them to repent, etc. And if they weren't received, then they're to shake the dust from their feet and go to the next town. The, the story of John the Baptist here is kind of an interlude. And so here we pick up at this time where he's going to feed the 5,000. They're there reporting back to Jesus all that they had done and all that they had taught as he sent them out. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Can you imagine that? They've been ministering. They're tired. They're, they need some rest. And by the way, if you minister a lot, it's important to take time to set aside just to rest and refresh, to be spiritually renewed as well as physically renewed. And here they're trying to do it, and all the crowds see them, and they say, Hey, there he is. And they come around. They, they swamp them. Many of them recognized him. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and underlined this and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. It's already late. Send them away so that they can go into surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus says something astounded to him. He says, you give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? 200 denarii, that's equivalent to 200 days wages. Calculate it. Now, if you calculate it out, you say 5,000 people. That seems a high price for a meal. Listen, it was 5,000 men, if you look at the last verse in the account. 
It's estimated that there were perhaps 25,000 that were there around Jesus. And if you're going to feed 25,000, it may take about 200 days of wages to feed all of them. And they're saying, kind of in a rhetorical, ridiculous way, should we go bikes? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of 150s. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied, and it was all over. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves and 5,000 men. Jesus is asking them to do the impossible. You feed them. Something that within their own strength, within their own abilities, they could not do. They didn't have a supply line that was in the rear bringing up supplies and support for them. The, the amount of money that was necessary to buy the food for this many was impossible for them. You remember all of them had left their what to follow Jesus? Job. There wasn't a Walmart just in the next town. We think there's a Walmart everywhere. There wasn't a Walmart there, right? That even if they had the resources, they could go out and buy it. No, there was nothing around. Completely, completely out of their ability to do. Let me ask the question. What has God called you? What has God led you to do that you say, it's impossible for me to do that? What do we believe as a church that God has called us to do that we look at and say, it's impossible for us to do that. And I think Jesus is getting the point to them, guys, I'm going to call you to do the things that are the impossible. And when you realize that they're impossible for you to do, then you must have faith that I will provide what is necessary for you to fulfill what I've commanded and called you to do. He's asking them to trust Him. He's also asking them to take a step of faith. One, one step of faith in believing that God is who He says He is. See the God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Is He a God that is able to empower and equip through the Holy Spirit so that we might be effective in what He has called us to do when in and of ourselves we know that we're limited in resources, but it's God the one who does the work? Do you trust Him? Are we believing Him for what He has called us to do? See, I'm convinced, I don't know this for a fact, this is my opinion, you can take it, leave it, chunk it, or flush it, but I'm not sure if these disciples weren't willing to step out and in a step of faith and do what he tells them to do, that Jesus would have performed the miracle. Do you, do you remember, there was a part that he told them to do in the passage. Do you remember what it was? He asked them first, how much food is around? 
Take inventory. What is it that you have at your resources that you can get your hands on? And then he tells them, take the people and divide them. Who had to do that? The disciples had to divide them. You see, God always, always, always involves us in what he is doing. Our part is to take what we know that we have, the resources, and recognize that with what we have, there's no way we can fulfill what God is calling us to do. But by faith, we're going to take what we have and believe God to work as only He can work. God calls to the miraculous. He's teaching the disciples. You see, our human abilities and our resources are always lacking. Um, John, I've been pastoring now about 27 years. And you've been in it a long time. Butch, you've been in a long time. Aren't resources always lacking? <laughs> they seem to always be lacking. And I found that what happens oftentimes is that rather than looking to see what God can do with what we have, we look at what we have and say it's impossible to do that. One is acting according to the flesh. The other is acting according to the Spirit and faith, believing God. Remember the children of Israel. There was a generation that didn't cross into the promised land. Why? Because they didn't believe. There was a younger generation that said, No, hey, here's a good report. This is what's going on in there, and God will take it for us. Although we see the giants in the land, we see how limited our resources are. We believe and know that God has called us there, and we're going to step out of faith, and we're going to cross the Jordan. You see, when we look at our current resources, rather than looking to God to provide, we become paralyzed, and we walk by sight rather than by faith. See, he could have easily performed the miracle by himself. But he would not do it without the disciples getting engaged by taking a step of faith, being willing to do what they can do. You see, when God calls us to do something that is seemingly impossible, he wants us to do our part as we step out in faith and obedience and trust him to do his part. I'm afraid that we've, not just us, but we, in, maybe in the Western culture, in some way, I think maybe 90%, this is off the cuff, maybe 90% of what we do is not done by faith at all. It's done on our own resources and our own abilities, by our own programs, by our own wit, etc., etc., etc. And that's why we get the results that we get. Is this for anybody else or is this just for me this week? Now, he, they see him perform this miracle out of the resources. And, and you'd think that, that maybe by seeing Jesus feed the 5,000, perhaps 25,000 out of five little loaves and two fish, they would have got it. They would have said, oh, ha, ha, God is able. Did they get it? No, because we're going to see in a couple of chapters later when he feeds the 4,000, they're still lacking faith. I think that may have been why Jesus said later that, 
you're not going to see another miracle. <laughs> Miracles don't convince anyone. The miracle that convinces, I'm convinced, is the greatest miracle of all, where God takes a wretched sinner like you and I, and we trust Him, and He transforms our life radically, and He sets us free from things that once bound us, and then we know that that is the greatest miracle of all. How do we apply this? Let me give you some corporate ways in our church body. And then I want to give some personal ways how we might apply this in our life. When God calls us to do what we know we don't have the resources to do. I was reminded of this this last week. I think it was four years ago. That, thank God, he placed on the heart of our pastor at that time, Mark Marshall, that, you know what, this death that we're carrying is not good. And I think at the time when it... At that point, we were at about $2.1 million in debt. Jim, is that right? You remember about that? Well, to most of us, that's like 2.1, right? We may have thought, do we have any wealthy friends we can call? Too bad we don't have a football celebrity here, etc. But the vision was cast that we, we need to relieve ourselves of the debt that we have so that our resources might go to better equip and build the kingdom of God. And you cooperated with that. You got along with that with the move offering. And now we are well within reach. And listen, we're at about $300,000. Next week will be our move offering. But I'm glad that somebody stepped out in faith and said, you know what? It seems like the impossible because the resources really aren't here. But God has provided through his people the resources that are necessary to position us where we are so that last year I shared last summer in our move beyond that one of the things that we really believed that God was leading us to do was to finish the upstairs mezzanine so that the Spanish congregation that worships here would be able to have a, 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 a better location so that they might conduct their worship services rather than a gymnasium where there's people playing with a basketball on the other side or there are people walking in and out or somebody's getting ready for a, a lunch that's coming and they're making the noise and all that kind of stuff because the body there is growing and we need the facility for it. But I'm telling you, I have lacked faith because why I put a stop on it that says kind of hold our brakes. Why? The resources aren't there. Now, that's not to chide anybody, but I recognize, J-Mo, you are looking at what you have rather than what God can do. I put on delay going to Liberia this spring to teach the next course to those pastors that we've stepped out to teach Train them in the Word of God. Why? Because there's a lack of resources. And I was convicted. Jamo, you have been looking at what you have rather than what I can provide. I guess I'm doing a public repentance right now. Is that okay? You know what? I don't mind repenting of you of that in front of you. You know why? Because we're all in the same boat. Somebody say amen to that. It's misery loves company, right? <laughs> stepped out in faith when this church body recognized that 
the times had drastically changed, and not only had the times changed, but we recognized and realized that we were an event celebrity-driven church, and we said, wait a minute, we're not fulfilling what Christ called us to do, and that's to make disciples. And it was by faith we stepped out to say, we're going to change the direction of this church so that we do what Jesus told us to do, and that is to make disciples who make disciples. Praise God, we're still doing that. Let me put some personal application. Maybe this hits you, maybe it doesn't. We talk a lot about sharing Christ. It's a part of our mission to win so we can make a disciple and then we can send them to win others to Jesus. And we pontificate and have for such a long time of what is the best method of evangelism. Do we do it the right way or do we do it the wrong way? We need to have more training. Listen, we've had training till the cows can come home. What it comes down to really is a faith and a belief of what Jesus said. Do you believe that you can lead anyone to Christ? Careful, that's a trick question. If I believe that I can lead somebody to Christ, then I'm not depending on the Holy Spirit, who's the only one that can draw one to himself. You see, I can't change anybody's heart. I can't convict them of sin. I can't convince them of the righteousness of God and his love for them. But what Jesus calls me to do is open this thing right here. And while I may feel like Moses sometimes, I'm incapable of speaking. I mean, I'm not quite sure I can say the right things. Listen, he says, just open your mouth and testify and share. Maybe ask yourself this question. When's the last time that you saw God give you an opportunity and you went away? rather than taking the time to share Christ. I can remember a point in our life when we had stepped out in faith to, to go on with a missions organization, Youth of the Mission. And um, we knew or were convinced that God was leading us to go with this organization. And it meant selling everything that we had, which, by the way, when we sold everything, there wasn't left over because we owed so much. <laughs> And everything seemed to be going wrong. And I, I have two little kids, and all I've got is a van that's left. And what little bit of possessions we had, we were going to pack in that van. And I'm, I'm boxing up the house, and I'm so overwhelmed. I'm like, God, there's no way. Did, did, what, what, what am I to do? And I sat down on a box in the hallway. And I was tempted to begin unpacking the boxes that I packed. And God spoke into my heart, and He said... Get up and finish packing. Limited resources. And maybe you look at your finances and you're saying, you know what, there are limited resources here. How, how can I be a part of working in God's kingdom? Let me challenge you in this. Giving is an act of faith. Now, it's not giving so that I get more. That's, that's just wrong. But it's giving as an act of faith that, God, I trust you 
I trust you in my provision and my finances. And God, I'm going to give. Why? Because I trust you. You see, if we're giving without faith, then I'm not sure that it means a whole lot to God. It might mean something to the finance committee, right? I'm being lighthearted. But I'm not sure that if we give in any other way, that we get the point of why God calls us to give. Maybe it's a broken relationship. How in the world am I going to repair this? There's no way that I can repair that. Listen, no, you cannot, but God can. And what it may be that he's asking you or leading you or commanding you to do is take a step of faith and begin an initiation with that individual so that God might work in their heart and your heart as well to restore a broken relationship. Let's move to the next passage. Jesus walks in the water, beginning in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. Because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were completely astounded because they had not understood the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. The other gospel that records this instance is the gospel of Matthew and If you want to turn there with me to the 14th chapter, I'll just read the verses. It's the part where we understand that Peter got out of the boat and went to Jesus. Matthew records for us immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? They got into the boat, the wind ceased, etc. A couple of things I want to point out here. Outside of Peter getting on the water, what Jesus had told them to do in this instance was a very common everyday occurrence. I mean, most of these guys were what? They were fishermen. They, they'd undoubtedly been on the Sea of Galilee many times fishing. Many times they'd been in the boat probably since they were a child. So getting into the boat and going across was no big deal for them, no matter what hour of the day. And they're on the Sea of Galilee. The winds can come off the mountains and, and just call create humongous waves that are there. John, you've been there. But it was common, everyday stuff. The thing that struck me in this is that how much do you rely on him, J-Mo, in the everyday common mundane stuff. 
Because you see, the common, mundane, everyday stuff can turn on a dime. Life can turn on a dime, can it? But the thing deeper than that is what we do in, in, rea- in relation to being a follower or a disciple of Jesus are some of the things that we call Christian disciplines. Have we taken them to the place where they're just everyday common occurrences? Do we do our quiet time in the morning where we read Scripture and really all we do is get through the devotional book or or read through the chapters that we're supposed to read through? Or do we have a belief by faith that God is going to speak to us and in our hearts through those pages that we read? Do we lead our Sunday school class? Do we teach on Sunday mornings in our class after we've gotten used to teaching and we kind of have it down and saying, okay, I do my due diligence in study. I've got it all here. Now I just plop it down. Or do we believe that God will move in that group as you teach and proclaim the Word of God and interact with one another as a body? You see, I can prepare every week for a message and I can deliver a message, albeit stumbling many times. John can lead a worship service and have it all prepared where Henry has prepared the orchestra and the choirs there. We've all rehearsed. But the question is, do we take that which is every day, every week mundane and believe and trust and know that unless God moves through it, then we've met in vain? Every day, every day, mundane things. Now, at least Peter got on the water, right? (laughs) At least he got out of the boat. I think that might be more than what I'd be willing to do. Takes his eyes off of Jesus and he does what? Begins to sink. Peter, if you'll remember, was, was the first one to they kind of respond to who Jesus really was. Who do you say that I am? Christ, the Son of the living God. But regardless of how many miracles Peter and the other disciples saw, there was still something lacking. And I think that what was lacking was what took place after Jesus ascended and the Father brought Jesus back there with himself and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. We see a radical change in Peter's life. Even after he had denied Jesus and he had been restored, we see a completely radical change in Peter's life. The impetus of that was the Holy Spirit of God who indwells the hearts of the believer and empowers us so that we might have effect as we trust Him and believe Him for what He's shown us to do. And we step out in that and realize that it's not on our own abilities, it's not in our own strength, but we are in complete reliance on the Holy Spirit of God to empower, to give power, to give credence, to give give evidence through our lives that Christ is real and lives in us. We have to trust Him in the insurmountable things that seem impossible. But we also have to trust Him in the mundane things that we are tempted to.
to allow become rote and ordinary in our lives. You see, you need to trust him by faith that every day when you go to work, and the reason you're going to work is not just to draw a paycheck. It's because that God has placed you there in that workplace. And somebody would say, well, you don't realize, I, I seems like I work in hell. Well, he's placed you right there. Why? Because he wants to use you. And having that expectation, knowing that God, I don't understand why, and I don't know what you're going to show me today. I don't know what you're going to bring along my path. But God, please use me in some way today. And by faith, I'm believing that you want to use me. And when you prompt me, I'm going to step out in that. I was going to say in school, but I don't know that that would be appropriate in this service, would it? If you're in school, like you're not there just to get an education. You're there because God has ordained you to be there, and He wants to use you in that place. Some of us think we chose the house that we live in. No, God appoints where we are. And when it changes, we say we want to get out of here. Hold on! God's placed you there because He wants to use you there and you better not move on until He tells you to move on, right? But do we believe by faith that Jesus, you're who you say you are and that you desire to live your life through me and empowered by the Holy Spirit that I might be a witness unto you and your goodness and your graces and your mercy. God, use me. What do we do? How do we apply all of this in our life? Let me get to the last passage real quick. I know I'm running long. This is important. If you look at the last instance, beginning in verse uh, 53. After the miracle on the sea, when they crossed over, they came to the shore of Genesaret, and they anchored there. And as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized them, and they hurried throughout that region and began to carry the sick on mats to whatever they heard, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in the villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace, and they begged him that he might touch the end of his robe, and everyone who touched it was healed. Unless we're familiar with the area, we don't realize that where Jesus was was in a Gentile area. Outsiders. You remember when Jesus was in his own hometown, Jesus said, hey, a prophet cannot... A prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. And Jesus himself was astonished at the Jews' lack of belief. And Mark tells us that he could not do many miracles or many works there. Why? Because they didn't believe. And I looked at this contrast and I thought, here he is in a Gentile area. Those who are outsiders, and man, they're, now granted, they weren't flocking to him to have their spiritual needs met. They wanted their physical needs met, but they believed. And yet his own didn't believe. It dawned on me that oftentimes, and this is I'm preaching to me, not to you. 
oftentimes those who are on the outside seem to demonstrate more faith in believing that God can than those of us who are in the inside. Why? Because we've let our faith, in some instances, grow stale and stagnant. That may not be you, but I recognize this week it's been me. But that may be you. If the Holy Spirit has pointed out to you this morning, you've kind of let things get mundane and routine. There's only one thing for you and for me to do. Repent and believe. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.